with Exalted, another off-topic. The Dragon-Blooded, or the Terrestrial Exalted. Uh, I am Devin, and here with me today we have... Be there. Alright, so, uh, we are going over the Terrestrial Exalted. Hurrah, we've gotten to them. So, the Dragon-Blooded are the... (coughs) What would you call them, Peter? Children of the Gaia, I guess. Chosen of Gaia. Chosen of the Elemental Dragons. Um, they're the most numerous exalts in Exalted. There are uh, five aspects to them. One for each of the classical five elements in the setting. Uh, they pass on their exaltation differently for everyone else because them breeding causes their children to click in and be exalted sometimes. Uh, and yeah, they're the default antagonists of the setting if you play by the core book which are solar exalts. Or if you look at the first edition, I think it was putting more focus on them being the protagonists as well. That's correct. Uh, this goes back to what I think we might have mentioned in the solar uh, discussion. Um, they basically polled how many games were played with each of the different types, and the overall majority, like, I don't know, I'm going to throw a number, probably 80%, three-quarters of the games were dragon-blooded slash solar games, which means that these two are kind of the heavy hitters. Um, if you're playing from the core book, you're playing Solar Exalts. You're playing, you know, returning heroes in a Gilgamesh kind of uh, way to take over a world that's been, you know, <coughs> gone through an apocalypse and, has, and is wild and untamed. Where on the other aspect, if you're playing a Dragonblooded, then you're playing um, characters part of a Roman-era-styled uh, empire that's keeping order and everything together and everything safe while the world's falling apart. Yep. Uh, so, usually we start by talking about the patrons, but there really isn't a patron for the Dragon Blood. Like, they all come from the five elemental dragons, which are the kind of uh, representation of the elemental poles that keep creation together, like the, the kind of stakes that everything orbits around. But they're not that important. They, they don't really have that much going on for them. Well, they do exist in the setting, they do hold some cards every now and then, but two of the five are asleep, the other three are you know, doing their thing. They're technically the head of the terrestrial bureaucracy, but you know, just figurative, just like Sol is the head of the celestial bureaucracy. Nobody cares, really. Exactly. Uh, just to go down the list, the <coughs> Dragon of Air is Mela, the Dragon of Fire is Hasaish, the Dragon of Water is Danad, uh, the Dragon of Wood is Sex Julius. The dragon of Earth is Pasiap. Yep. Done. Um, Fire the... what is called sexy Julian. I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, sexy Julian. So what? Fire is asleep because when he was moving, then there were volcanoes erupting everywhere, and Earth is asleep because where he was moving, there was earthquakes everywhere, and that's wouldn't be that nice. Yeah, people have to live there. Yeah. Uh, other than that, they're not that important. The more important thing with the Dragon Blooded is their social status in the game. When you're playing a terrestrial, odds are you're from Lukshai or the Realm, which are the biggest, most advanced, most horrifying empires in the world. <laughs> so there's a baggage associated with it. Um, if you're playing a terrestrial exalt from either of them, you're part of a great house. Uh, you're vying for control of, or you're, you're you're trying to keep your status and your face. Uh, together uh, against the other houses. You're managing the Empire from barbarian threats from the outside. Uh, they have a very Game of Thrones feel to them. 
Well, yeah, you need to maintain your family, pass on the bloodline, and so on, so on. Very good, I guess. Uh, political plots, uh, inter-house plots. Like, if you're playing a Dragon Blood and you're from one of the great houses, odds are you have to deal with plots from your brothers and sisters, plots from your children, if you have any, or your parents, and just all different people inside your own family. And then you have to deal with interference from outside families. And then you have to deal, deal with interference from other entire clans. And depending on the scope of the game, you have to deal with bullshit from things outside of your entire empire trying to fuck with you. Yeah, and then you have to keep those pesky solars out. Oh, yeah, and then, and then the devil came back, and you have to go murder them or send off a cousin or a brother to go murder them. Over and over, because there's no stopping them. So, Dragonblooded uh, were another exalt that was present in the Primordial War. Their shtick was being uh, the glorious soldiers slash foot soldiers slash uh, numerous warrior type. That was their shtick. Solars were generals and, um, you know, brilliant engineer artificers. The Lunars were their, like, companions. Sidereals were their advisors. Dragonblood were their footmen. And they all worked together and murdered the Titans. We've, we've told the story a bunch of times in every one of these. Um, yeah. So when the First Age happened, they weren't given a lot of respect, supposedly, but most of the books that talk about the First Age aren't canon and were poorly written. Looking at you, Dreams of the First Age, and whoever wrote for that, go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, so the best you can glean that's canon is that the Dragonblooded were treated kind of poorly, weren't given as much influence as the other heroes who saved the world. There were a 100,000 of them. Um, and the Solars, as the story goes, just got worse and worse, and the Dragonblooded got more and more sick of their shit. This eventually culminated in the uh, Usurpation, where a bunch of them were murdered at the Calibration Feast, and all hell broke loose because all the Dragonblooded lieutenants and servants rose up against their masters and murdered them. Yeah. Um, and that just throws the First Age away, and we move into the Shogunate Era. It's kind of hard to be searching for the Dragon Ball in the first set because there isn't really that much information. You can learn about the Solas or how great they were, how they were created and what they did. Versus if you look at anything Dragon Ball, it's like, oh, the Shogunera, that's what you want to hear about. Nothing about the Primordial War, nothing about the First Age. Nobody cares about that stuff. I'm pretty happy about that because I don't care about the First Age and I don't care about the Primordial War. They're the worst things in Exalted to talk about. Because they are a done thing in the setting. I would be happy if the third edition version of Dreams of the First Age, like, you know, the, the, the thing that looks at the past, yeah. told us about the Shogunate era. Because even the information we get about it is not the best. It's, it's super incomplete and glosses over like a period of 700 years where there was this middle kingdom ruling the world. And considering the fact that uh, terrestrial exalts are one of the main ones... And that's a huge hit, like point in history. It's silly that it wouldn't be more developed. Exactly. Like they were in charge during that entire period, and we don't really have it. Yeah, exactly. We have no information about the Shogunate era. Um. So. So, what do we know about the Shogunate era? <laughs> Sorry, I lost a train of thought. Thank God for that filter I have. <laughs> Kills dead air. So, what do we know about the Shogunate era? Uh, the Dragonblooded ran the world for the time after the Usurpation up until the Contagion and the Blorian Crusade. So they were able to keep a good chunk of the infrastructure together. Yep. The First Age tech, they were able to, over time, retire when it started to start, start failing, like the Stargate Network. Uh, the factory cathedrals that produced all of their Magitech and replacement parts. They had to slowly, you know, cycle them down and bring them out as, as systems failed that couldn't be replaced. 
Uh, sometimes it did not go the best, but for the most part, they were in control. For the most part, things were okay in, in the Shogunate. Yeah, no one could go to Denisor. Oh, uh, yeah, no, Denisor even did really well. Even Denisor flourished. Um, then... Oh, wait, there are a few There are a few high notes. Yeah, Denisor was flourishing up until the Bullring Crusade happened. Uh, the realm was doing fine. They were able to keep the wild from pushing back because they had all these networks up. Uh, but they, but then they did stupid shit like opening up Camp 17. <laughs> you know, the concentration camp that left a Shadowland, the largest in the world, that's never closed. Yep. You know, remember when White Wolf did the Shoah, the Wraith book about... Like the Holocaust, yeah, and it was tactful, and it was super tactful and super well put together. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they went back to that in Exalted when that was kind of lightning. That's not going to strike twice. Like they don't, they don't talk about super horrors or or anything really bad happening, but evoking Nazi Germany imagery in your story about the empire that happened in between the current one and the Golden Age. Not the best choice I found. Uh, Needlessly paints them as bad guys. I know. You have everything you're selling, right? Do we? Uh, oh shit, there's even a 911. You're right. It, it does have everything. There's a, besides the one we did, what's a. You gotta speak up a bit more. Besides the 911 that we did in the game, what, what are you talking about? A city oh, of nothing but shining towers of glass and metal that was blown up and the towers what? fell and stuff. I think there was also something in the Paragon that it was uh, existing, I think, even from the primordial era, or it wasn't called Paragon, it was something else. Then it fell during the usurpation, and I think uh, I was showing that there was someone like closed up in a dome or something like that to preserve it. And then I think that dome fell, fell off around the um, realm taking over, and then uh, the perfect was able to dig through the rubbles that were undisturbed since there was a patient and find those nice artifacts there. Hmm. So something happened there as well. It's just, yeah, a lot of the stuff we get up with the Shogun era is needlessly hostile for the dragon blooded as characters. Oh, like... I think you also kind of need it, though, for them to be also villainized, because the first age... It's also really villainized. It's like, yeah, everything was great and beautiful, and there's so much technology, but also there was that piano made of living people that when you press the keys and torture them, so they scream in different pitches. And that's just, you know, a solar. Yeah. So yeah. remember, the first stage was really horrible, too, so they kind of yeah. have to also be like, oh, and also, the people that usurped everyone, not necessarily for the good. No, just yeah. to let you know. Maybe it's also that... You villainize the show a bit so the realm could shine more in contrast to this. So they're, they're bringing back the civilized age and so on. Okay. So the Shogunate era officially ended when the Great Contagion started sweeping through the world, killed nine out of every ten people, and alongside it, the Fair Folk invaded and pushed back the walls of reality, shrinking the actual planet yep. uh, and the borders. And that basically destroyed everything. The Shogunate fell apart. Uh, Denisor went up in flames and people couldn't go back to it. Um, you had crazy shit happening all over the world. And then an unknown soldier and her sworn brotherhood of Dragonblooded went on into the heart of the Blessed Island, to the heart of the Imperial Manse, where the Solars had only dwelt before, turned on the defense grid and saved the world. And that formed the, the, the realm, the Roman Empire antagonist... Uh, 
Chinese invading country that exists in creation now. One of the remnants of the Shogunate era is Lukshai, the quote-unquote Seventh Legion. And they're kind of like the realm, but a little less shitty. Independent, I guess. They're independent, they're smaller, they have more Magitech, they have the most mechs and flying machines of anyone. Uh, they treat the mortals a bit better, and they're just smaller and nationalistic, and they don't believe in conquering territory. Well, basically, they're far enough in the realm that everybody in the realm doesn't care about them, and they're close enough that they're safe, I guess. Not being deep in the wildlands where you know, Mahasuchi lives and so on, where All the right. mountains are. So, yeah, um, maybe we should talk about the Imperial Mans itself, since they... Okay, um, I don't know if we talked about this previously, but the Imperial Mance is a structure that exists on the Blessed Isle. Uh, it was originally built by a Tokthon. It uh, is basically a large defense network that protects creation from outside threats. It, it can target them, nuke them, kill them. It was uh, built after the Primordial War? Or yeah, I think he found it afterwards. Yeah, uh, so I think the, they were describing that, oh... It will be easier now to defeat the Primordials because you've got all the Solate, you've got the Sword of Creation, so forth and so forth. Before that, you didn't have that, and you still won. So, I, I think it was built. I'm not too sure. I don't. I don't know when it was built. No. I know the Solars added to it and made it better, but Atakathon laid the groundwork. Yeah. So Atakathon built the Sword of Creation, and Solars made it into the Realm Defense Grid. Realm Defense yeah. Grid. Or, That's actually exactly what it was. Something like that. Yeah, he provided the, the groundwork that they expanded on. Yeah. Uh, so, what does it do, really? Because I think I've... There are a lot of different things yeah. it does. Uh, second edition, there was a collection of warmances uh, seeded throughout the entire world that would basically trigger uh, natural disasters and large-scale destruction. It, it's a plot point. Mm -hmm. The the sword of creation does exactly what it needs to do to be scary, and it doesn't mm -hmm. work right now because the empress is gone. Yeah, the big shtick about it is having it makes you a superpower. It is the nuke. Yeah, you rest with that. It works, but it's not that reliable, so she cannot just use it on everything. Therefore, yeah, yeah, it's a plot point. It doesn't need to to have any of that shit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, its whole purpose is if you can take it, if you can hold it, then you run most of the world. Yeah, I think it's the best dial easily. Yeah, it, it's the nuke. It's the bomb. You have it, you become a superpower. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. basically it. It's why the realm is feared. Uh, with the Emperor's gone, it's not a threat, so people aren't worried about it anymore. And that's where the major thrust of what's happening in Exalted when the game starts is. Like, that's the year kind of zero they have going on with the Emperor's gone. Um, so, the realm. The realm is... The Roman looks are like the same thing. They're a Roman-style empire that has satellite nations that aren't on the home soil, that they abuse for resources and people and slaves uh, to fund all of the industry on the center island, like the home nation. Uh, they have infrastructure. They build stuff up. They provide people with stability. They're, they're kind of a crux point for the entire world. If you didn't have the realm, the world would be in a lot of trouble. It's a necessary evil. Yeah. Uh, they all have great houses, you know, so then there's like a bunch of them. Uh, the great houses of the realm are descended from the Empress herself. Her children basically found each great house. The great houses of Lukshire are called Genzes, and they're descendants of heroic military figures in the 7th Legion who helped found Lukshire. 
Lukshai is less expansionistic. They don't believe in moving beyond their borders. Um, yeah. All the great houses have their own thing mm. they do in the realm. Yeah. Their own hat. Well, I guess the realm sees the, its duty to protect the world and, I guess, take over it. They protect the world, therefore they're entitled to everything in it and the yeah. people in it and don't put up a fight. Yeah. They so, also have that whole view of their, you know, the enlightening force that's going in, like... The immaculate world. Yeah. No, not only in the immaculate The whole Roman civilized the, the savages thing? Yeah, yeah. Like, they think that what they're doing is good for people because their culture is so much more advanced and they're like... Look at these savages. Look at the way they live. They're, what we do is so much better. And they're conquistadors and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the realm fulfills the vision of bronze that Sanira had, which is that the world will, if the dragon blood take over the world and they control it, the world will be okay, although it will be way smaller than it used to be in the first age. It'll be mediocre. Yeah. But it'll stay on forever and it will be stable. Yeah, which is basically what the realm is pre the uh, Empress going missing. Uh, the realm and Lukshai are stabilizing points where they exist. They provide that kind of backdrop. Uh, the Blessed Isle is the size of the USSR, landmass-wise. So it's its own campaign setting if you play on the Blessed Isle. Yep. Like, you could do anything on the Blessed Isle. You could be a solar, lunar, dragon-blooded. You could just probably do an entire game there and never leave its shore. How hard would it be to be a solar on the Blessed Isle? Super easy. It's the size of the USSR. Oh, yeah, it just depends how sure you are about it and how much you can hide what you actually are. Well, the thing is, if you have the Sidiras working with the realm... But once the Empress is gone, they're not doing anything anymore, so hmm. there, there's no super automatic GM hit squad that's going to murder you. You could probably run entire games of solars on the realm and never get found out. Oh. Yeah, like the Majestic, for example, my character, he's just a really good crafter. He could just be like an inspiring mortal. He could just say that he's god No, or but It's really mm -hmm. easy to get away but with. As I understood the setting, you've got the Immaculate Monks that go after the Anathema, and they're being tipped off by the Sidira that just goes yeah. straight. And that whole them. network can't do anything if there's 300 solars and no Empress. Hmm. Plus, also, it does. Plus, uh, one of the key points about the Empress is, is that she ran the Empire in such a way that if she wasn't running the Empire, the Empire is built to fail. All the different departments, organizations, and competing factions were very <coughs> meticulously and carefully pruned and controlled by her. And without her there, they start eating each other. <laughs> so the Wild Hunt, all of its military is gone. The, the realm military disappears, and all of a sudden all the great houses get their own military and pull men from it. Funding gets cut. People start pulling for factional stuff. Put that on top of people trying to take over the throne. You have infighting, no one working together anymore. The whole system falls apart. Okay. And the sidereals, the the sidereals can't do fuck all. There's, there's the, the solars are back, and with the, if the solars are back, that means not every sidereal is going to want to keep the realm up and running. That means there's actually a legitimate reason to want to back a new uh, contender because it wasn't a problem before the solars came back. <laughs> then you have the abyssals, the death lords. <laughs> Uh, the Infernals eventually show up. The Gatimians eventually become a thing. Um, exigents start being re-exalted once the Empress disappears. This whole domino effect falls into place that says, no, there is not a stable system anymore. And e even when there was a stable system, there wasn't like there were super assassins that would immediately find out if you were a solar. It's not that easy to track. Yeah, they're not like always tracking all the exaltations at all times, especially because... 
fate is more around people's souls and not the expectations themselves. Yeah. So you basically have to be causing a ruckus in order to mm. the serials are not omniscient. Okay. But uh, yeah, the realm is a fascinating campaign setting. Same with Lookshy, but Lookshy is more nebulous because I don't think it's ever stated <coughs> if they hate solars or anathema the way the realm does. It's very vague. Well, since I guess they have the whole peace treaty with the realm, then they might be a bit leery of the solar. Peace treaty was in our game. Oh, it, <laughs> oh, so they're fighting. Okay. Oh, the realm and Lookshy are in a state of war. Huh? Yeah. It's they well, both have nukes. They don't want to do anything. Yeah, like uh, the last time the realm and Lukshai fought, Lukshai dropped a nuke on them. And the realm was like, well, fuck this. Yeah, then definitely, I guess, they would be into the solar because... Lukshai also worships a different type of religion. Like, they both study the Immaculate Faith, but their Immaculate philosophies are very different. The realm one uh, suppresses anathema. The Lukshai one is also uh, based around this ideal of the perfect warrior, which is a... A four-armed perfect man who's equal in all things that uh, that a perfect soldier would be like. He's basically the unconquered son. Like they, they have a bit of sun worship going on in their culture, so it's very nebulous whether or not they kill anathema. Uh, if it's stated in a book somewhere, they should really make that more prevalent because I I didn't quite catch that the last few times I looked. Uh, I read about Look Shy. Well, I guess if they're in the in a war against the realm, they would want the soul on their side because that's right? a trump card they can use. Oh, your entire empire is focused on murdering these people? These 300 super champions that are better than everything? Oh, we're going to start fucking hiring them. Like, you know, the enemy of my enemy. Yeah. The enemy of my enemy kicks the shit out of you. Yeah. And I guess if you support them, you might as well, you might survive after they take over or something. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's that's a good deal of uh, <coughs> geo, geopolitical history. Um, the realm has satraps everywhere, which are basically slave states that have to give resources to the realm and are abused by the dragon-blooded who live there and just by the government in general. So they're always kind of on the edge of revolt or just super upset all the time. Some of them are loyal. Well, yeah. It takes by those people to get all the resources. Yeah, Thorns was a realm satrap that was really successful and really happy to be a satrap. Mm -hmm. Until the Mask of Winter showed up and Juggernaut. Oh, well. Um, so, playing a Dragonblooded. Yep. Dragonblooded are different from every other Exalt type <coughs> we've covered. Um, you don't gain it for being heroic in the traditional solar sense. You, you were born with the potential to be a Dragonblood. Uh, everyone in the world can potentially exalt as a Dragonblood. It doesn't matter. But for, for, for Dragonblood characters who are like Realm or Lookshy based, your family, you mean, their, their entire society in great detail is built around the idea that their family members will become Dragonblooded. And the ones who aren't kind of take a bath seat. So everyone goes through like super expensive schools and, and very meticulous kind of educational backgrounds. So that when the, by the time you're a teenager and puberty hits, you might turn over and become a Dragonblood and like exult and get your power. When you don't, you become what's called a patrician, which is a mortal member of your family and are kind of just swept back a bit and not really looked down on, but seen as a, a disappointment, wasted potential. <laughs> we don't need to worry about them. Uh, when you're Dragonblooded, though, the whole world's your oyster. Like you're not really expected to do anything important till you're like forty or fifty, and that's like you're still in your early twenties by that stage. You're still considered a teenager, but you're allowed to like you know uh, start cultivating political ties on the island and like 
being able to, to build up the, the background and rapport with other influential figures and stuff so that you can, uh, you can start to, you know, build your own sort of influence or a lot of Dragon Blood go adventuring. Like they just leave the island and go around the world and like do conquering or tomb delving and bring back rare artifice <laughs> for the family. Um, it's a really different game to play when you play Dragon Blooded because like you can do stuff like you can do a whole Game of Thrones thing or like you know Avatar where they show the Fire Nation and mm-hmm. like how it's all very culture culturally mm-hmm. like like rigid and stuff like that that's playing a Dragon Blooded you know uh, uh, when you see Zuko and Azula's kind of how they lived with the Fire Lord and how like any small slights would cause like this big backlash and stuff and there's that kind of sword over your head yeah that's Dragon Blooded culture. It's a very rigid uh, imperial thing where everyone's kind of related and everyone has a direct bloodline to uh, Mama Empress, the one who runs the fucking place. <laughs> Slights are taken seriously. Plans are enacted. Uh, L5R is another good example. Mm-hmm. The whole honor culture and the clan culture and the emperor and poetry and tea ceremony and all that bullshit. Yeah. Being a dragon blood means you can engage with all of that um, while still being a clearly heroic without having to hide your powers because you're the default the world assumes because of the religion that the the, the realm has spread that by default you're the rightful rulers of the world yeah yeah that's actually one of the that's like a huge difference between words because if you're playing in the main timeline swords have no infrastructure to work with they're on their own uh, maybe with a couple other solars you know maybe that's like sidereal cult finds them and helps train them but for the most part they're on their own they have to find their way they have nothing to support them, whereas Dragonblooded, the entire culture, the most important culture in the world, supports and cheers them on, and, like, they basically, yeah, they're the rulers of the world, so it's not even in the same realm of the same kind of game. Yeah. Night and day, and that's yeah. why Dragonblooded are the second protagonist characters in Standard Exalted. Yeah. I guess you have a lot of freedom when you're playing the Dragon Brothers. Yeah. Although you might cap out earlier than the Sola that can go to heaven and, you know, yeah. have their birthright there, technically. You, you can have stuff like that, but in the default game, Solars aren't treated that well anywhere, really. Like, even heaven kind of pushes back at them unless they have serious backing going on. Yeah, I'm not saying immediately, mm-hmm. but you have yeah, that no, definitely. higher, higher potential versus Dragon Brothers, well... I guess the highest thing you can do is rule creation, eventually. Well, yes, but there's also the fact that the culture, if you're for the realm specifically, uh, if you're like a random person who results as a, as a terrestrial, that's different. But if you're from the realm, their entire culture doesn't give a fuck about heaven. Gods are there to do your bidding. And I mean, not in the way that solars are, but they don't worship gods. Their culture is specifically yeah. built around being like, Worshipping gods is stupid. Gods just exist. It's kind of unfortunate, but they do. Uh, so maybe everyone that's... else in the entire creation worships gods, and like they're like heaven is like this huge big deal. But for the realm, it's not. The realm is what matters. Nothing else really matters. Carthage must be destroyed. Yeah. So maybe let's talk about the culture and their attitude towards gods and so on. So the biggest thing you're going to notice about the realm is the immaculate philosophy or the immaculate faith which is basically a religion built around the idea that the most, the greatest thing you can strive for in your life is to fit in the place life has afforded you. The farmer tills the field. The field is tilled by the farmer and produces food. 
the, the person in charge of the farmer's life takes care of the farmer and takes his food and taxes from him and provides him safety and up the chain up until you get to the spiritually perfect dragon blooded who of course carry the heavy burden of being spiritually perfect and thus having to take care of everyone in the world and making sure they're safe and also taking from them. And if you're a good boy, when you die and reincarnate, you might die. You might have led a pure life and reincarnate as someone who will exalt as a dragonborn one day. This is bullshit. So part of the immaculate philosophy is the hundred god heresy, which is essentially gods exist to do their job. And they don't deserve special attention because they're not the spiritual apex of the world. Dragonblooded are. Well, the five elemental dragons are the spiritual apex. Yeah, but they were dragonblooded mortals beforehand who assumed that role. So, ah. dragonblooded are. <laughs> I didn't know that. But that's what they call it. Oh, it's yeah. Amazing. It's fucking ridiculous. So, gods are, of course, important because they run parts of the world in the background by just, you know, being the god of the river, the god of war, the god of, you know, that kind of stuff. But, dragonblooded are the bridge between the spirit world and the living world, and they're the ones who take care of that, not mortals. So, worshipping gods is very vulgar because you're not supposed to do that outside of prescribed days set up by the Immaculate Faith. Yeah. And if you go outside of that... Immaculate monks, trained spirit exorcists who are probably mortal, will show up and kick the shit out of those gods for being jackasses. <laughs> and if those gods fight back, then actual dragon-blooded martial artists might show up and just eat them. <laughs> kind of like the, god, the, the farmer who tills the field, uh, expecting the person who takes his taxes to thank them for it, kind of thing. Yeah. They're, they're in their place. They're doing what they're supposed to do. The best thing you can do in life is stay in your place. And don't stick out, don't be special, don't cause a fuss. Yep. Which, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, um, I guess how the spirits view it is like, on one hand, oh, it's very bad. Well, they don't like it because they, they cannot have any cults versus the other settings it's more relaxed. Yeah, if you're out in the threshold, you just, you know, bully a bunch of mortals <coughs> into worshipping you and giving you human sacrifices and, like... I don't know, yeah. wine. It's great. Yeah. If you're under realm control, you're fucked. Yeah. No cult for you. Although you can, you get your prayers You get on your the one day. But it's like, it's the most backhanded, half-hearted hand job of prayer. It's like, oh, no, no. We're going to pray for you today because this is the day you've earned to be prayed towards. It's not actual fervent worship. It's not the type of stuff God's like. It's just food. It's <laughs> empty. Ca it, it's It's... It's nutritious, but it's not particularly filling. <laughs> well, I guess if you look at it uh, from the whole creation of the mandate, where the sun ordained that the terrestrial god should not be seen, they should just act whatever, then that's sort of the fulfillment of it, if you take it to the extreme, I guess. And Same thing with celestial it. gods. Any of the ones that are under the purview of the Blessed Isle are... They get more worship because the Immaculate Faith is built to make sure that they make the island favorable, but yep. they don't. If you're not from the Blessed Isle like industrial complex, you're fucked. Well, yeah, there are some gods that you do not piss out, piss out like uh, no, the God of Peace and so on. Oh, don't ever mess with him. He's well, just is a, both. Is pretty little cow that people like to, you know, that's pet this, one day a year. That's the you know barbaric sap. Who cares about? No, no, no. Uh, Even the god of peace uh, skirts the rules. The god of peace is one of the syndics in uh, Great Wall. Yeah, but he's the general god of peace, not the southern god of peace. They're separate ones for each one. Yeah, but like no, specifically, like 
likely, I'm pretty sure it's Atlat. It might be. Yeah, it's Atlat. Atlat the realm to mollify him. Instead of doing a bloody hundred man sacrifice covered in gore, they take out a cow, put a flower wreath on it, shampoo its fur, and like manes kiss its forehead, and that's their daily worship. And Atlat is like, that is. You fucks, you're supposed to butcher it. No. No, I think this, in the lap at least, that they do have a festival for him. They do kill those cows and sacrifice it, but it's not we go out, raid, steal the cows from the other nations. Sometimes they kill the cow, but for the most part, they just treat it really nicely and, like, are all like, hooray for Atlat. They just make it pretty and, like, pet it. And it's like, everyone, it's the special cow. We love Atlat, right? I, I think I remember reason some of this out that they have to do that otherwise they would not get any cows the next year so they do yeah they, kill they worship Atlat but the point is <laughs> is they do it in a way that's offensive yeah it's the most petty way to worship him he hates that shit <laughs> yep it's even I think it even says that if a bride of Atlat one of his warrior wives saw that they would attack yeah <laughs> they would roll initiative pretty much so Again, dragon blooded are usually not that well liked by uh, divinities on principle because <clears throat> they're dicks. Yeah, they run two of the dickest empires. <laughs> empires full of dickens. Yeah, pretty much that. Um, so okay, but the terrestrial hero, the, the you're a yeah. dragon blooded hero. What kind of hero are you in a dragon blooded? Um, like maybe we should talk about what kind your charms are like traditionally. Traditionally, the Dragonblooded charms are centered around elemental mastery, but not in the Avatar The Last Airbender way, more like the the concepts of the elements as put through the lens of the Exalted setting. So, like, I think, like, the combat trees are under fire, and, like, you know, it's about hitting fast, hitting hard, you know, causing, like, a, a fantastic sort of eruption of fire element, but not like, you know, you're casting burning hands, it's just you hit hard enough that something detonates. Um, and, you know, air is, I, I don't know what the elements are. I don't really pay that much attention, but it's a lot broader than Avatar The Last Airbender and the bending arts. It's yeah. more like thematic embodiments. Like, I think air is where the crafts come from or the science comes from. I, I can't be sure. Medicine is, I think, wood because medicine deals with, like, healing people and repairing them. Mm-hmm. Um, their charms are built for working together. Their charms are built for being, like, a communal thing in a lot of areas. Um, some of their charms are built for, like, battlefield tactics and, like, promoting, like, a, a sort of war mentality. They're pretty good at that. Uh, there, there's a lot of synergies going on. And a lot of their charms, you can actually um, take a thing that harmonizes it to your element and actually changes them slightly based on what cat, what aspect you are. Um, so they're neat. They're interesting. They're significant from the other charm types. Um, they're a lot more directly supernatural. Like... Solar exalts are <coughs> the best human potential you can get. They're Gilgamesh, they're Heracles, they're uh, Moses. You know, they're calling down biblical style, you know, supremacy. You know, uh, Samson throwing the ox skull and killing a bunch of guys mm-hmm. just because Samson's awesome. Dragon blooded are more steeped in magic. Like their stuff is obviously magical. It obviously comes from a from an unnatural source. It's not the best of human potential. It's them being in tune with that element and that coloring what they can do. Yeah, so I guess they command the creation that way because they're more. Yeah. An earth elements. aspect is hard to hit because he becomes like the concept of stone. The concept of earth is you know unstoppable. You can't you can't hurt a mountain, and that's why an earth aspect martial artist or an earth aspect soldier just can't be hurt by weaponry. His charms make him indestructible. 
you know, a fire aspect will move fast and burn and and hurt you in a way that won't ever really heal because you can't stop fire. Um, there's also the fact that they don't have cast symbols. That's right. Uh, terrestrial eggs all have aspect markings, which are basically um, like. I can't think of an example outside of Fate Stay Night. <laughs> Fate Stay Night? What would be the example? Like the, the mage tattoos and everything. That's what I always picture it like. Yeah, aspect markings. What? You can talk. <laughs> I can't remember the animals. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, aspect markings look kind of like, I don't know, I guess the best description would be like veins of war. You know, they, they, they go through you and they're colored a certain way and they're like spots or freckles, or like full body kind of markings that are colored to your aspect. So they're like your little essence lines? Yeah, they're like dragon lines. You know, they probably match up with your chakras. Some of them might look like tattoos. You know, whatevs. Even mortals who aren't dragon-blooded exalted that come from a dragon-blooded line uh, <coughs> will have aspect markings. The Killer Queen has aspect markings because she's from House Amalar. Hmm? Gens Amalar. Which I don't remember what element it was. Wood? I want to say what? I think it's air. Air? Like, we keep flip-flopping, but I'm pretty sure it was originally air. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, that's what marks them. They don't have cast marks, but you have aspect markings, but they're fairly easy to hide, because <coughs> most people won't just assume that you're uh, a Dragonblood for having aspect markings. They'll just assume that you're from a Lookshire uh, Dragonblood or Realm family. Yeah. Um. What else? Amalar's air. You're right. Oh my god, the Genses. The Genses are Carl, um, Terasu, Meheka, Amalar, and Yashuto. Carl. Um, Better probably go Dave. Uh, what? Oh, um, yeah, the families raise their kids with the thought that they will exalt. Yeah. And then if they don't, um, we, yeah, you say that words. they're not looked down on, and they're kind of not, but it's kind of a condescending thing. They're not like, looked down on, they're just pushed to the back and it's, yeah. waste, it's a wasted potential thing. But also, the house basically has a responsibility to take care of them. Yeah. They are obligated to provide them with food, clothing, a job, um, a house. Like the, Basically, the rest of the family has to take care of them, even, what, even after they retire their whole lives, no matter what. Yeah, you're not allowed to just throw away your mortal members of your house, and it'd be stupid. Stupid to do well, so, so because to... you could marry them off to another house or another part of your house or another family, and their kids could exalt. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, you know, Roman citizens. So they have full rights and to be taken care of. They're not like. A realm patrician, which is the yeah. name for a mortal yeah. member of a great house uh, dynasty family, has more rights than anyone in the realm who isn't dragon blooded. They're basically the equivalent of a full citizen today in a first world country. Yep. Without the people above them, the 1% God King Illuminati, <laughs> which are basically dragon-blooded. Uh, you know, they're family. They're good enough. So. People like family. It's just, yeah, they're, they're treated a little with a little more kid gloves because, you know, you're not going to live that long. Yeah, that too. <laughs> dragon-blooded. Oh, uh, how long did dragon-blooded live? Did you look that up? Uh, well... I think uh, what was that? The, probably a couple hundred years. I think five hundred would be my guess. I know that the uh, Empress has outlived her normal two hundred to three hundred fifty years. Okay, sorry. I looked that up as you were <laughs> talking. 
Yeah, when we were played that, we would play that one-off game with um, with Stephanie. I actually like read into a lot of the stuff around it. Was super fucking interesting. The first, like, I find it way more interesting than like any other part of Exalted. Like their culture, it's so well detailed. Oh yeah. Like everything about it, you just you know how long their gestation period is in fuck. Like you know everything. So about which them. book was that? The best book. I don't remember. In all of Exalted, <laughs> and this is the book she read. She just doesn't remember. The best book in Exalted's publishing history that gives you the most accurate, full-scale, and an interesting treatise on a magical Roman Empire that is the realm is the first edition Exalted The Dragonblooded book. Go torrent that, or if you care, buy it from DriveThruRPG, but just go torrent it. And it gives you this amazing macro and microscopic look at what this empire looks like. And, like, the economics of it, the culture, gestation periods for heroes. They actually, whoever wrote it, because first edition had actual writers on board, um, took a look at what a world superpower in a post-apoc saying would look like with, like, a thousand years worth of eugenics projects and cultivation of superpowered people. And how that would change society and what domino effects that would have on the culture as a whole. Down to different job positions, different titles, different organizations within the realm. It is a fascinating read. Yeah, like... There's also another book called The Lost Eggs, which deals... Or The Outcast, which deals with being a lost egg, which is just someone who exalts somewhere in the world and what cultures have them. And Outcast also deals with Look Shy, because, of course, Outcast is what the realm calls anyone who doesn't... Who's a dragon-blooded not from the realm. And Look Shy are Outcasts. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that book, I would definitely recommend it. Like, it describes the entire schooling process for children from great houses, uh, what your job and life will be like if you don't exalt, um, like, the fact that it's actually a really matriarchal society. Oh, yeah. Um, and not, like, in, like, the women are, like, booted rulers, but it's... Not in a Star Trek matriarchy. Yeah, it's not ridiculous, <coughs> but it's, you know, it has that kind of leaning. You take on your mother's name, because that's where the bloodline comes from, and also because the freaking empress is female, yeah. that's basically the main reason. Um, also, you can guarantee that the mother is actually the mother, whereas, um, uh, yeah, with patriarchal societies, you can't actually tell if the child is that guy's child. Yeah, you might have heard of this famous fa series of fantasy novels where that the question of lineage of the king kicks off a whole series of events. It was this little book called A Song of Ice and Fire that nobody's <laughs> read. That whole entire fucking problem kicks off a bunch of events in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, and because bloodlines are really important with dragon-blooded, because you have a the way higher Empress. chance of, of exalting if you're close to the Empress, which means that you have to track lineage really well. Yeah. So the, the first edition, Exalted the Dragon-Blooded and the Outcasts book, those two books give you a fascinating breakdown into what it's like to be in this culture, not even as an exalt, just as a person who grew up in... This magical, uh, horrible, holy Roman Empire. Um, anything else? Um, oh, access to, to material. Dragonblood have the best access to artifacts. Because there are unbroken lineages of like artifact armor and swords and bows and weapons. Things that have existed since the Primordial <laughs> War. Uh, and they're also all constantly producing artifacts as well. So if you're a dragon-blooded, you have better access to, like, magic, like, things of power. And you have better access to just normal magic, like sorcery. Both Lukshai and the Realm have Sorceress Academies, the Heptagram and the Lukshai Sorceress Academy. So you have all this access to infrastructure that makes your character almost pretty much more deadly than a starting solar. 
Like a starting solar has a lot of potential and can go really fucking crazy places depending on how they build. They can burn a lot brighter, but Dragonblade have a nice solid plateau that they start at that just builds up over time. Of course, with 3rd edition, they've removed the whole uh, concept of sorting algorithms. So Dragonblade are no longer the shittiest Exalt that exists. They're just different. All the Exalts are just different. No one is better than the other. And uh, in Exalted 3rd Edition, anyway, um, your different artifacts, if you have an artifact that's been handed down through your own bloodline, through your own ancestors, from father to son, mother to son, that whole, whole sort of thing, you have what are called heirloom relics. Uh, artifacts that gain evocations kind of like a solar wood, except they're based on uh, the, the unbroken lineage of like descendants wielding the weapon and empowering it. So you get a lot of weapons that are that are personalized to you off the bat, just from the legacy of the people that came before you. It's why Dragonblood are so fucking deadly to Solars. You get five of them that are tricked out with artifacts, custom provided to them. Um, Lookshy has the most Magitech of any other uh, kingdom in the world, so they have all the War Striders and airships, and they have Skywolf, the fucking capital ship they own, that, you know, has all the laser weapons on it. Like... Dragonblooded are horrifying. They're, they're a strong exile type that works really well together and has a lot of infrastructure built around them. And they are a tough nut to crack. Yep. Um, mm, I guess that's mostly it. I don't know, uh, maybe how they deal with the other exile types, like what their relationship with the underworld and Malkias, or they like totally not touching that because that's their... Dragonblood don't deal with any of that shit. They deal with creation. Yeah. They're really creationist heroes. They they do the boots on the ground sort of heroism like like they're like um like a hero of the people kind of thing. Like not in the sense that they're like yeah. a superhero, but in the sense that their stuff is more focused on creation and more focused on the politics and more focused on uh, uh, changing how the world is run and ruled. By the empires that are around yeah. them. Well, they don't go to Malpheus. They don't go to the Underworld. They don't go to Yushan. They definitely don't go to the Wild. Even though the Wild Hunt's called the Wild Hunt because they hunt Lunars on the edge of the world. Uh, Lunars being their most fearsome enemy. Um, they do that with the utmost <laughs> caution. And the Wild Hunt really works more inside the borders of creation now that the Solars are back. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, the hero of the people is more of the Autocatonia, the Alchemicals. So I guess they will be, you know, the light of the civilization, the sort of uh, Alexander the Great going to the... Dragon-blooded... Alchemicals are heroes of the people and heroes of progress and the state. Like, they're, they're the hero of everyone working together in a communist way. Mm -hmm. Dragon-blooded are the hero... They're like the heroes of... What's a good word for it? Of... Um, um, that thing that people do. Let me pause. They're, they're heroes of imperialism, of of pa kind of patriotism, but also like they're they're conquerors. Their shtick is they safeguard the 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 fires of mankind and the kind of civilization mankind's built. You know, they keep everything safe from the monsters on the outside and the the rogue elements on the inside. But the fire they wield is a fire. So I think I said I just said it. Um, you know, the, the fire of technology and knowledge and civilization, that's also the fire they're going to set to your village yep. to make way for their empire. They're the empire exalts. They're Alexander the Great. They're the 300 Spartans. They're uh, Genghis Khan and his horde. 
they all work together better. There was a little kind of poem thing I was told once about how to view dragon-blooded. And it goes kind of like this. Dragon-blooded are like this. Me versus my brother. My brother and I versus my uncle. My family versus my cousins. Our family versus the other family. Our house versus their house. Our empire versus their empire. All of us versus the stranger. Yep. And that's the best way to sum up the dragon blooded. The more outside threats you throw at them, the more they will put aside their differences and band together and work in a in a in a unanimous kind of horde that's custom designed to work <coughs> together and push out the the stranger, the other. And unfortunately for everyone else, anyone who's not a dragon blood is the other. Solars are the other. Uh, lunars are the other. And they are very efficient over the last couple thousand years at seeking out who doesn't belong and who's different and murdering them. Yeah. Well, I guess if you look at it, it's like on their shoulders that the whole burden of keeping creation as a central point of the whole setting alive because you can't have usual world creation, you can't have the underworld world creation, you can't yep. have Malthus world it's, creation. It's their burden and you know it's it's the white man's burden kind of thing because they're <laughs> they're the imper- they're they're the biggest guys on the block, they're the Imperial Nation. But it's a job that they have pulled off ever since they killed the Solars and took over. And the world hasn't gotten really worse since the Solars left, because the Solars were atrocious, we are told. So they didn't do that bad of a job. All things considered. Considering people thought the world was going to end, went pretty well. And during the Blood are heroic. Like, all of, all of them during the Glory Crusade and the Great Contagion who didn't die of sickness threw their lives away to hold back an unstoppable army for only a few seconds more, even though they knew there was no hope of it stopping. So, that's the kind of hero you can get. The Marines from Alien would be good dragon-blooded ideas. You know, except for Burke. Fuck you, Fuck Burke. Guy. <laughs> what a prick. Um, anything else? Yeah. I think we've covered everything. Alright, so yeah, uh, this is I was I'm Devin. And Peter. And this is sponsored by Nobody, an off-topic on Dragon Blooded. Signing off. Our future depends powerfully on how well we understand this cosmos, in which we float like a float of dust in the morning sky. sky, sky, sky.